Well, good morning, folks. We have been um, celebrating the, uh, the arrival of uh, the Son of God, who uh, we celebrate as the Savior of the world. And we've been doing that through a series that we've been calling Advent Conspiracy, kind of a very uh, interesting, odd sort of name for a series. But really what we've been doing is joining other churches from around the country and even around the world in, um, in doing something very unique at Christmas. And so rather than kind of prescribe to the normal everyday, every year Christmas as we normally celebrate it, we are trying to push and call all of us to celebrate it a little bit differently this year by telling a very different story than the one our culture tends to tell when it comes to this time of year. And we've been describing that uh, retelling of the Christmas story by saying that we are called to worship fully. We are, are going to worship God fully this year. We are going to investigate and think upon and pause and reflect what it means to really worship God in this season as we celebrate the arrival of Jesus. And uh, not just worship fully, but we're going to worship fully by spending less. Wow, what does that mean? And so we, last week we looked at what it looked like for all of us, not just to prescribe to the cultural narrative that says spend, 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 get in debt, go way over your head, give more than people need, things that they don't want because you feel obligated to, but we're actually going to cut back on some of that spending because we don't feel like it honors God in all that we do. Not only are we going to spend less, but when we spend less, we're going to give more, and that's what we're going to talk about today. What does it look like to give more? And so maybe if you're visiting a church or if you're not familiar with church, you think, oh, great, this is going to be the money talk, and it isn't. Uh, we're going to be talking about giving something entirely other uh, than something monetarily, and I think something much more valuable. And then when we spend less and we give more relationally, we're going to take the margin of what we didn't spend on stuff that we don't need, and we're going to use it to love all in the name of Jesus. And so we've been talking about Sarah and her story and uh, what we're going to be doing in Haiti in 2012. It's one of the things that I'm most excited for uh, in the new year is what we're going to be doing in one small community in Haiti. And uh, John alluded to it before, but we've been giving out these boxes. If you haven't gotten one yet, please pick up one on the way out. And uh, we've been saying we're going to take anything that we don't end up spending on the normal Christmas stuff, and we're going to take the remainder of what's left, and we're going to put it in these boxes, and we're going to bring it back as our special offering on Christmas Eve. We're actually going to have a Christmas tree up here, and you can come and hang this up on the Christmas tree as a, a way to say, I'm going to come and love all in the name of Jesus. And we're going to collect all of these boxes, see what we collected as a church, and then that dollar amount, whatever it happens to be, is what we're going to use to send to Haiti to love on people in his name and make sure that people like Sarah have clean drinking water, access to education, um, sustainable finance so that they can grow their own businesses and get out of poverty and push the needle a little bit further away from abject poverty to something like what we get to enjoy here in the States. We think that that is a tremendous way for us as a church to say we are going to love all in the name of Jesus. We're going to make his story our story, and that's what we're doing on Christmas Eve. Um, also, if you um, have decided in any way to give to somebody, um, say, say you uh, have somebody in your life and you normally spend $50 and you've decided to spend something like $30 on that person, 
and you're going to donate the rest to Sarah's story in our, our Christmas Eve offering, um, then we have some cards that just say thank you on them. They're either in the back table by the cafe, they're at the Connection Center in the lobby, or they're on the welcome table as you go out. Um, so you can take any number of these that you want, and any time that you choose to give someone else a gift, you can say thank you to them for allowing you to tell a different story this year and uh, let them know what we're going to be doing in Haiti. Just a way to, to do that together. Um, so I realized last week that we talked about spending less, and, um, and there's a certain portion of us, I think, that, that listen to a message like that and we go, huh. Wow, I have permission to spend less? That's great. Can I, like, give my mother-in-law's phone number to you when she, uh, when she doesn't get the brooch that she's expecting? Um, it, there are some of us, though, that we're kind of relieved when it comes to actually spending less. But then there's another portion of us that actually really like to give come Christmas time, and we... We just enjoy giving, and we love giving gifts, and it doesn't matter how big or how small, we just enjoy giving those things. And so hearing a message on spending less created maybe a little bit of attention for you because you think to yourself, well, I like to give. It's, my, it's, it's the way that I like to express love. What in the world am I supposed to do? How do I tell a different story? And so if that's you this morning, um, then today is for you because we're going to be talking about how it looks for us to actually give more. Um, and last week I started off by telling you about, uh, I think probably the most impersonal gift I've ever gotten was uh, a New Kids on the Block poster when I was uh, a teenager. And for a teenage boy, boy, uh, it, <laughs> a New Kids on the Block poster wasn't like in my top 120 gifts uh, on my Christmas list. So, Obviously, it was a gift given out of obligation, but not necessarily one that had my personality in mind. Has anybody ever uh, gotten something for Christmas that you would consider impersonal? Yes? They just, they didn't really know me when they gave it, and you kind of felt like it was obligated, and, uh, but you got it anyway. How about the, the flip side of that? Did anybody ever get something that was intensely personal, that the person knew you, you didn't even have to ask for it, but they, in knowing you, in wanting to share love with you, gave you something that was very personal and, uh, and really kind of knew who you were as a person. Anything? Yeah, a lot of us have experienced gifts like that too. Um, the two that I can kind of remember the most in terms of being personal gifts, one uh, was from my dad. And uh, I remember one year I had gone away to, uh, to college and uh, it was the first year that I'd really been away from the house for more than a couple weeks at, at any one point. I was away for my first semester at school. And I remember coming home and putting together my Christmas list, and, and my focus really shifted because it was the first time I hadn't really spent much time with my parents uh, in a while. And so the, the number one thing on my list that year was actually to go on a skiing trip with my dad. So I could have asked for boots or for skis or poles or, or to go skiing with one of my friends or whatever. Um, but that space provided for me an opportunity to see the world a little bit differently. And I realized that I don't always get to spend those quality moments with my father. And so I, that's what I got for Christmas. And we ended up going on a skiing trip. It was a great day. It was one of the memories that I, I cherish. Um, 
Another very uh, personal gift that I, I got one Christmas was the first year that Mandy and I was, were dating. And uh, it wasn't that she gave me something extravagant. I don't even remember what we exchanged that year in terms of gifts. But shortly after Christmas, um, she chose to come up, to drive up to Massachusetts to come and visit me uh, at my parents' house because we were going to be away for about a month and a half or so. And so she got in the car and drove all the way up, got lost on the way. And uh, it was before the time of cell phones, if you can even imagine, imagine what that might be like. I know it's difficult for all of us to do that. But so she got lost along the way, and I drove out somewhere to meet her. I was at a gas station, and it ended up being like an hour, hour and a half longer than I thought it was, and I'm panicking. And so the moment, I, I still remember the moment that she arrived there, and I knew she was safe and that we were going to spend some time together during the holidays. It's one of the most tremendous gifts that I could have gotten. Uh, the, the common denominator between both of those things is that they were intensely personal. And they celebrated relationships. Here's what I'm going to try to convince you of today, that the best gifts celebrate relationships. The ones that are valuable to the most for us and for the person receiving the gift celebrate the relationships that we have. And so you, you think of a father who keeps the drawing of, of one of his young girls on his desk, right? It is no, you know, work of art has no value outside of the relationship. People come in and out of his office all the time, see this little drawing hanging on the wall next to his desk and don't think anything of it. It means nothing to them, has nothing of value. But to the Father, it means everything, doesn't it? It is an expression of love that's been given to him by someone he cares deeply for. And because of that fact, he cherishes it. Because every time he looks at that drawing, he celebrates the relationship, doesn't he? The best gifts that we give celebrate relationships. Think about what's most valuable to you in your life. And the best way sometimes to do this is to think like the old, you know, if my house was burning down question. What would I run in and grab? And for most of us, it, it probably wouldn't be the iPod. It, uh, maybe it would. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, right. Most of what we think of as invaluable are the things that celebrate the relationships that are most valuable to us. And so we rush in and we grab our wedding album. We, we rush in and we grab the photos of our children when they were first born. We, we rush in and grab the watch that was given to, my, to me from my father on his deathbed. We, we rush in and we grab those things of value that celebrate the relationships, even if we rush in and we grab the laptop, usually it's because the laptop has all the pictures on it that you've accumulated throughout the years, right? You grab the things that are most valuable. The things that are most valuable are the things of relationships. Why is that? Do you ever wonder? Do you ever create a question in your mind? For most of us, we just know that intrinsically, but we never really question why it is. Why is it that those things are so valuable to us? Here's what I want to convince you of today. It is because they echo the heart of the Father who is in heaven and his relationship to us. And that when we give gifts of relationship around the holiday season, we are actually 
practicing the intention of God for us, his people in the world, to tell a different kind of story come Christmas time. What if those gifts, given relationally, actually celebrate the birth of Jesus in a better way than the stuff we're used to? So this is kind of the third week of Advent conspiracy, and we haven't really talked about what Advent means. I realized that uh, as I was putting to today's message together, that for some of us, we've grown up in the church and we've been used to the whole Advent thing, lighting the candles and so on. Uh, But most of us, that's a a foreign term. So what does it mean? Uh, The word Advent uh, means this. It's the coming of an important person, event, or idea. It is the coming of something important. Can you guess what that something is on Christmas? Hmm. Hmm. Xbox. Yeah, right, yeah. Santa. Think of it this way. When we uh, celebrate Advent, we are putting ourselves in a position before Jesus actually arose on the scene. We, we are placing ourselves back in time in the story in anticipation of the one who is to come and change everything. That's what Advent means. It is the coming of someone very important, that someone happens to be God himself. And the, the prophet Isaiah talks about this in Isaiah 7.14, very familiar passage. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and, he will, and will call him Emmanuel. We talked about that word Emmanuel and what it means. It means God with us. And so the context is this. For Isaiah, as well as many of the prophets, things weren't going so well back then. As a nation, they were experiencing all kinds of issues and problems. Foreign oppression by Greeks and Romans, they experienced division, scattering. So they once had a homeland that was all to themselves. Somebody came in and, and just wrecked the whole thing. They ended up being scattered among the nations so they didn't know one another. Uh, they're living among foreign people. There is injustice and oppression. The poor are being slammed in that day. All kinds of bad things happening. And what Isaiah is saying, he's looking into the future and he's saying, we have all these issues. We think we have all these solutions to the problem, but God is going to come in one day himself and give us the solution in the form of his own presence with us. The solution to all these things they thought was to get a new king in town who would come in and reign in a new way and establish some kind of ruling. You may be familiar with the story and hear a guy by the name of David who was the best king that they ever had. And so ever since he left and every king after him kind of went one notch down on the the totem pole, so they're looking at their world and going, we need another king like David. We need somebody who's going to come. And God says, no, no, no. You don't understand. I'm not going to send you another king. I'm going to send you myself. See, what took place wasn't a king in God's place. It was the true king coming into the world. Because the issue was, it wasn't really about injustice. It really wasn't about uh, poverty. The issue wasn't about unity. The issue wasn't about government. The issue wasn't about anything that we think of as societal issues in that day or in ours, the real issue underneath every issue was the issue of being separated from God himself. 
And what God is saying is, when you're separated from me, it invites every other thing to come in. Because what you do is, when you separate yourself from me, you separate yourself from all the good things that come along with me. Everything that's involved in my character as the God of the universe, all that leaves too. And sometimes we think we can come up with all kinds of solutions for our lives and for other people's lives, for our relatives' lives, for governmental issues and societal issues. We come up with all these prescriptive packages that we think will provide the solution, but they're all in absence of the one who gives every solution. The problem that they experience and that we experience is separation from God. The reason I share all this is because you need to know, I need to know, not just at a head level, but as, at a heart and experience level on the daily activity of our life. We need to know something very particular, that Christmas celebrates the gift of presence more than anything else. Christmas celebrates, enjoys, glories in the gift of God's presence to us. And so every gift that we give in return as God's people should be a gift of presence to those that we love. And so often we give gifts that are absent of presence because we think it's the right thing to do. We need to change the story. And it starts with the one who's come. The gift of Christmas is the miracle that somehow the infinite eternal God has become finite and has come into this world in the form, not of power, not of some ruling king, but in the form of a helpless child that's born in abject poverty. It's the infinite becoming finite. The word that we use to describe this is a word called incarnation. And you're not going to find that in your Bible if you go paging through it. But it really means something in the flesh. God comes to this world and inhabits it with us. Uh, The way that we describe this is often from John 1.14, when it says, The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. What John is trying to convince us of is that God has existed from all eternity. That's the way in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. Fast forward a couple verses and it says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. If you've hung around church for long enough, though, you kind of know that. That's not really a new reality for you. And so sometimes even in the Christmas season, it's easy for us to sort of wash over it and not grasp the the reality of it all. I like the way that uh, the author Alan Hirsch puts it. He says this, the word became flesh and blood and moved into our neighborhood. He moved into our neighborhood. The God who was once far off, who we chose to pick up our stuff and move to another country and put down our roots somewhere else, God chose to pick up his roots and come and put them down right in our neighborhood. He followed us to where we were so that he could bridge the gap of separation. It's the gift of presence. Uh, One of the authors of uh, the book, Advent Conspiracy, says this, It sounds so obvious, and yet we seem to have drifted from this liberating, straightforward truth. The Father gave his one and only Son. See, God's answer for the world's problems has never been material things. He gave us himself. 
And so if our problem was poverty, he'd give us a gift card. If, if our problem was unemployment, he'd give us a job. If You see where I'm going with this. If our problem uh, was that we needed better marriages, he would have come in the form of a marriage counselor. If our problem was to be a better parent, he would have come in the form of a teacher. Our problem was separation, and the answer to that separation was a Savior who died in our place. It's the gift of presence, God coming and being with us. That's what we celebrate at Christmas. And here's the thing. God loves a re-gifter. <laughs> Anybody ever get a re-gift? Yeah. Not always a great thing, right? Uh, we do like a white elephant gift in my life group. We're actually going to be doing it this afternoon. And uh, for, for a while, like a couple years, there was like this really ugly, like bug-eyed cat statue that was floating around the group, and somehow it would just pop up every year. Somebody else would get this ugly cat. And you try to, like, disguise the cat in different boxes because nobody's trying to select it. Everybody wants to pass it off. You'd hope for a low number. So if you got the cat, you could trade it somebody else and get a better gift. You could up-gift. A whole other vocabulary I'm coming up with. We don't often think of re-gifting as a good idea, do we? Because what it says to us is that it's an old gift intended for someone else that we're re-gifting to some, someone in our life because we don't care enough about that person to really give a gift that's appropriate for them. We're short on time, we're short on finances, we're short on empathy or whatever the case might be, and we take that gift and we just pass it along to somebody else. Here's the difference with God's gift. He gives it with the intention for it to be passed along. Because every time you give that gift to someone else's, it's as if he's giving it directly to them. That's the story of the Bible. That's the story of Christmas. And so there's two aspects of this that I want to talk about uh, briefly, that if we're going to give the gift of, of God's presence, we need to understand these two balancing elements of what it means to give a relational gift this Christmas. And the first one is this. The gift of presence is a personal thing. It's a personal thing. It's intensely personal. It has the other person in mind when we give the gift and not ourselves. See, sometimes we give because it's, in, it's convenient for us to do it. How often do we give, though, with the other person in mind, their traits, their personality, their character, their experience, their life, their relationship to you. When we get the gift of presence, it's a personal act. And God's gift to us was certainly personal as well. And Paul shares a little bit of this in Ephesians 2. He's speaking to people who were not part of the Jewish nation or heritage. These were people who were outside of what the world saw and Israel saw as the people of God. And he's telling them this. He says, remember that at that time you were separated from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope, without God in the world. Pretty bleak circumstances, right? They are without. They are separated. Sometimes we say the word they, though, as if it doesn't apply to us. And I think we need to be intensely personal 
about the gift that God gives each of us when it comes to Christmas time. You and me, we are absolutely, utterly, entirely, what other adjectives can I come up with, separated from God apart from Christ, without hope in the world. You, you, me. Not in some generalized, the world is going to hell in a handbasket kind of thing. Me. I am separated apart from him. But then it says this in verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, who? You. In Christ Jesus, I, who were once far away, have been brought near through the blood of Christ. God's gift to you and to me is celebrated over and over again at this Christmas time only when we understand that it is intensely personal for us. So we can say, yeah, 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 God loves me because he loves everybody. I'm his perfect little snowflake and all that stuff. (laughs) You have to understand, though, God loves you. Not some, like, better version of you, not like you in your best moments, not you when you have your makeup on, not you when you've got everything together and the world seems right, you when you're at your worst. Me, when I'm at my worst, God loves us. Do you realize that? Have you appropriated that for your life? Have you made that an intensely personal gift for you this Christmas? Because when you do that, It makes the difference. It changes everything. God loves me. God loves you. It's personal. He knew you, and he he interceded anyway. I was thinking about this the other day when um, Mandy and I were kind of, we're at home, and we're doing some stuff around the house, and Caleb, our son, is, is down on the kitchen floor playing, and it was kind of getting later in the day. And you know, like, as it gets later in the day and he gets more and more tired, like, the patience level drops considerably. And so some of the things that he was able to do or, like, fall down and kind of pick himself back up or get frustrated with something and move past it, all of a sudden that margin is just gone, right? And, and so any little thing that happens, he just explodes in a rage. And he's throwing cups and, like, doing this little, like, baby rage, you know? And... Uh, it's interesting because you go, man, I see a lot of myself there, <laughs> you know. Whoo! <laughs> like if God is ever going to hold a mirror up to you, he's going to do it in the face of your children, you know. Um, <laughs> and, and those of us with children really know that fact. Um, but here's the thing. So, so I, I kind of like I'm watching this take place, and I'm sort of chuckling because it's funny to me on some level because he's, you know, like it – it doesn't matter at all. You know, he's just, he's playing with his blocks. He can't get one of them to connect. And so he just has this outright fit. You know, the world is now in chaos because of this. And, and so I'm standing back watching all this, just kind of laughing at it and saying, you know, uh, you know, he'll get over it. Mandy, though, she bends down. She goes down to his level. Uh, she picks up all the blocks. She shows him how to do it. 
and then gives him back. And, and that made all the difference in the world. He saw him connect together and pull apart, and he goes, oh, okay, it's not such a bad thing. Here's the, and this is why the reason I share this story is because um, sometimes we can think, when I'm at my best, God will come down to my level and he'll reach me and he'll talk to me, he'll speak to me, he'll relate to me. But when I'm at my worst, he's just going to stand back and let the fumes fly, you know. He's just going to let me erupt and do my thing and he's going to stand at a distance and not really be involved in an engaged parent. <laughs> Here's the thing, though. God interceded when we were at our worst. When we were at our most rageful, when we were at, at our most disrespectful, at our most separative, at our most rebellious. At, at, think of you at your worst. God comes and he intercedes then. God comes and he says, I love you and I'm here for you. And in fact, I have died for you. The one who knew no sin took on your sin, yes, even the worst sin, so that you could know me and experience something of the righteousness of God. It's personal, isn't it? And so when we re-gift the gift of presence to others, it's intensely personal because we know that person and we go to that person and share an experience with that person based on who they are, not because of our comfort level. Not only is the gift of presence personal, the gift of presence is also costly. Uh, everybody kind of knows John 3.16, right? Sort of the, you know, the, the capstone verse of the church. Um, that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. But do you know 1 John 3.16? 1 John 3.16 says this, This is how we know what love is. Do you know what love is? Our culture seems to think it does, right? We have a lot of songs about it. We write a lot of music about it. We, we claim to know a lot about it. And we look to a lot of other sources for it. But it says this is how we know what love is. How do we know? Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. It's, it's unimaginable for us. It's very, very difficult for us to think of the cost that it took to give the first gift of relationship at Christmas. It cost God everything. Think of what it would take to give up your only son, your only daughter, the thing of most worth and value to you to bridge the gap of separation with somebody else. Someone who hated you. Someone who is opposed to you. Someone who doesn't want anything to do with you. Think of that person in your life. And now think of what you'd have to give up. Not knowing if they would accept you, but you give it up anyway to be reconciled back to that person. That's what God did for you. It cost him immensely the thing that he treasured the most and yet he gave it up. How do we know what love is? Because God gave a relational gift that cost him everything. That's how we know. See, so when we give to others, it's going to cost us too. 
Every gift costs something, right? Even the ones that are, are the easy gifts, they cost us something. Um, even if it's just $5 to Wawa for somebody to get a coffee, it costs us 5 bucks so we give the gift. Every gift costs something. And so the gift of presents is no different. It will cost us just the same as any other gift costs us. But it costs us in different ways, doesn't it? Um, and so for us, it may cost us uh, something entirely different. It may not be, mean that we need to lay down our lives, but it will cost us. We'll need to think harder about it. We'll need to value the relationship and, and put other things aside. We, we may need, it may cost us in our reputation. We may have a loved one who has some certain expectation and ideals that what, of what happens at Christmas time, and we may not meet those expectations because we've chosen a gift of presents rather than cheap gifts. It may cost us. It will cost us something. It'll cost us time. It'll cost us energy. But here's something that we don't often think of, is that every gift costs us something. And so even the other gifts, the easy gifts, the monetary gifts, those things cost us too. And sometimes they cost us in relationships, don't they? And so we give the gift that they most want, the thing that they really enjoy. And it harms the relationship rather than helping it. Sometimes, you know, instead of one Xbox game, we give five thinking that it's the thing that they most want in all the world, and then they spend the next week locked up in their bedroom not experiencing anything of the relationship with you. Does that cost you? Yeah. More than 60 bucks for the game, actually. It costs. We don't think often of the cost of our gifts outside of their monetary value, but every gift costs us something. Every gift is both a gift given with a cost and something that happens on a personal level. So this is my challenge to you guys and to me, to our family uh, and to yours, to give gifts that are both personal and costly that say to the other person, I value our relationship. It is the best kind of giving that there is. And it will look different than the kinds of gifts that we're used to receiving. When you hear from one of the authors of The Advent Conspiracy and his experience with something of a relational gift. There was a woman who spent all of this time putting together a journal for her friend. And so she contacts other people uh, who know this friend and, and asks them to, to write letters and notes and, and to send artwork and photos. And then she's the one who actually assembles the journal. And it cost her in time and energy and thought. The person who was on the receiving end of that gift, the person who, who actually on Christmas morning received the journal was my wife. And when Robin opened this gift and, uh, and she felt the weight of it, and you could just tell that there was a lot of time and, and, and love that had been put into this. This journal had such a weight to it. It had such a, a beauty to it. Even as you began to, to, to unwrap it and, and to see the leather and to look at the various things that folks had written to her and, and photos and, and memories. And See, the kids and I knew what we had written, but we didn't know what anybody else had shared. So there we sat and we watched her with these waves of emotion going over her. 
together we actually, for the next hour or so, through tears and a whole bunch of laughter, we just worked our way through the journal. And now I want you to think about what that is, to receive a gift like this on Christmas morning. It's not just the gift, it's the fact that it causes you to slow down for an hour on Christmas morning. It reminds you, not just of the, of the good times and maybe some tough times, but it, it reminds you of the steadfast love of God. It reminds you of the blessings of friendship. It reminds you of the gift of relationship. It's pretty obvious that a gift like this is different from the stuff that piles up around the Christmas tree. And so say no to all of that stuff. But we're also asking you to say yes to a completely different way of celebrating Christmas. We're asking you to say yes to a way of, of giving that will allow uh, you and the receiver of that gift to experience joy. We're giving you a chance to experience a meaningful gift that you're just not going to find in those piles and piles of stuff. We're giving you a chance to, to tell your neighbors and your friends that Christmas has been and always will be a personal thing for you. And I promise you, we're giving you a chance to worship at a different level. I don't know when it will happen. I can't even predict to you how it will happen. But there will be a moment this Christmas that will open up for you and you will slow down and you will remember and you will celebrate the birth of our Savior. convinced of this, that our giving at Christmas time can and does, when we choose this path, reflect the intention of God for us. It shares with those that we give to the beauty and the power of God coming into the world as Savior in the form of His Son, Jesus. It really does, and it really can, and I hope that you can see that, um, because every time we choose the gift of presence, we say, to ourselves, to our family, to our neighbors, to the world. God, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We bring something of the presence of heaven down to earth, and we say this is what life is like when it's lived under King Jesus. That's what we say. And so uh, I realize that uh, you may need some tips on how to do this. So for those of you that are really like concrete thinkers, let me, uh, let me give you five things that I've been kind of brewing up, um, some, some things to consider as you're uh, wondering what it means to give relational gifts this year. The first thing is this, and just as he said in the video, say yes to gifts that celebrate relationships. Say, say yes to uh, going ice skating with your wife, even though you're going to look like a total idiot um, because you don't ice skate very much. But she's been wanting to go for years. That would be a perfect relational gift to her. Spend time baking cookies with your kids because it is a relational gift to them in the form of your time and your attention. Give gifts to your neighbors. Go and visit them with that box of cookies and spend time, even though you know you're going to hear the same story about her cat and its problems again and again, just like you did last year. Give, give gifts of relationship to people. 
Spend time with your friends. One of the reasons that we cleared out the schedule as a church isn't because we couldn't think of great things for you guys to do during the Christmas season. It's because we want you to be able to invest in the people you love the most. Those are gifts of relationship that matter more than anything. And it would be a shame for us as a church to program your whole holiday schedule so that you wouldn't be able to spend that time with those you love. Say yes to those gifts. The second is this. Realize this. You may not be convinced of it yet, but I hope you're starting to, that time is the most important, the most valuable commodity that you have to give to others. And it's the only gift that God gives all of us in equal amount, correct? It is not dependent on our bank account or our credit card line. It is the gift that we all have equally. And because of that, some of us who are very busy, it is a very valuable gift to those people. But those of us who maybe feel bad that we're not able to give gifts of such monetary value, we can give our time and our presence in abundance. And it will communicate more love to people than our bank account ever could. The third is this. Let your giving be driven by your relationships. And so consider the other person. Don't be a re-gifter in that kind of bad sense of the word, but consider the relationships. Consider the other person's personality and their character and their experience and what would be valuable to them in terms of your time with them. The fourth is this. Reflect on the true cost of your gifts this year. Make sure that you know the cost of everything that you're giving. And when you choose to give the gift of time to somebody else, give it as an act of worship. And that leads us to our last thing. Let your giving be a reflection of God's gift to you. You can do this. I mean, you can take the sort of my prescriptive method for how to have a better holiday season and completely remove it from the fact that God has done anything for you. But let me tell you what will happen. You will burn out. You will do it out of obligation or guilt or a sense that you need to to be in somebody else's life and give that gift of relationship. If you do it in and of yourself for your own reasons, apart from what God has done for you, ultimately you will do it for his time and then you will revert back to the old system. Why? Because it means little to nothing to you. When you do it in the presence and the power of God's original gift to you at Christmas, it I promise you, is a gift that will overflow over and over and over again as you consider the infinite gift that God has given you. We don't do it out of obligation. We do it because he did it for us. 1 John 4.19 says, We love because he first loved us. That's the reason. We do it because he first loved us. So, what if we give gifts like Jesus, the gift of presence to those that we love this year. My guess is that it would result in relationships being built up in a way that we haven't experienced before. My guess is that it would result in love being communicated in a richer, deeper sense than we've experienced before, with our time and with our words more than with gifts. My guess is that it would result in us being able to pause and to reflect rather than just to simply rush through the holiday season like we are so used to doing. I just wanted to share this. um, Because sometimes we can think, I've missed it. 
right? I, I, I wanted to give the, this new kind of gift, and we've been talking about it, but I already did all my shopping on Black Friday, and I just feel like I've failed it this year, you know? Um, and so sometimes talking about all these things can create more guilt than it can help. Um, and so realize two things. One is that you still have a week left. You still have a week left. It's not Christmas Day yet, right? And so you still have the opportunity to give gifts of this sense. And, and two is this. Last I checked, Christmas comes about once every year, right? And so Mandy and I were having this discussion uh, just a, a little while ago. We felt like we've made good strides in this direction. We've sort of pushed the needle towards the direction of relational giving. But we're not all there yet. We still have a lot of what our previous experience was. So realize it's not an all-or-nothing thing. It is a gradual, intentional process for getting us there. Um, one of the gifts that, that uh, we received this year actually happened on Friday night. And uh, a bunch of people at this church uh, whose kids are, are grown up and moved out, or whatever the case might be, devoted an evening to, uh, to, to giving relationally to some of us in the church who have young kids. They came and devoted an evening uh, to give free babysitting uh, to us with, with young children. And uh, some of the parents that have experienced the, the, that gift are smiling right now. Um, because here's, here's what you did. You gave the gift of presents. You said, I will enjoy time with your children and give you a night to do whatever it is that you'd like to do. So some people use that to go shopping. Some people... Uh, my wife and I used it to go on a date night, which was fantastic. It was just great to be able to have that time to invest relationally in, in one another because we had been given that gift from those people in our church. Phenomenal gift. Phenomenal gift. And I use it as an example to tell all of us that we, too, could use the time that we have to invest in other people. Earlier I shared this, that there is a great cost in the the giving of presents, and that God gave the greatest, most valuable gift to us. And I talked about 1 John 3.16, where it says, Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. Here's the, the second part of that verse that I didn't share with you before. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. We ought to lay down our lives for those of us around us. This is what we're calling all of us to, is to use that gift that God has given us, and not just hoard it for ourselves, but to pass it on to others. That's really what our church, the, the idea that our church has been founded on. And I was thinking about this as I was putting this message together, because in my list of sermons on my laptop, <clears throat> I have them in alphabetical order. And there's two sermon series that we've done that begin with the letter A. The one that we're doing now is called Advent Conspiracy. The other one is a series called All Things New. And those of you who've been around since January know that that was the founding sermon series of our church where we outlined the vision of being a church that exists for the benefit and the good of this community that we're surrounded by. And so I think of the gift of presence this year and the tremendous gift that God has given to us as a church. And my prayer then and now <clears throat> has been that we would not lose sight of the reason that we've been given that gift. It's to lay down our lives for others. As a church, I'm calling us to that vision again. Um, 
let's raise the banner of being that kind of community that shows and demonstrates the love of God in Jesus by being a different kind of community, one that values relationships, one that gives personally, and one that counts the cost of those gifts. I think if we can do that, we will live and experience joy and worship like we've never experienced before this holiday season and in ones to come. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I do thank you for the gift of your son. And uh, so often we can choose to only celebrate the gift of your son on Christmas Eve or on Christmas Day and use the rest of the month for giving gifts of a totally different kind. So I pray, God, that uh, we wouldn't lose sight of that gift given to us. Help us to not just know it with our minds, but know it with our hearts, that that gift was given personally to us who were separated from God. I pray that if we find ourselves even now still separated from God, that we would take this opportunity, this Christmas, to celebrate that gift, maybe for the very first time. God, I pray that you would use this holiday season for us to tell a different story. Pray that it's already beginning. And God, we do it because you've given to us first. Help us not to give relationally out of obligation or guilt or shame. Help us to do it because we know that we are fully loved. Because of that, we can fully love others. We ask in Christ's name.